0: Welcome to the Fargo podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we are here to do the season four wrap up. Uh, we've talked about all 11 episodes and now you guys and gals get to say something. Uh, this is going to be, I think, mostly a feedback episode because I'll be honest, I, I have thought more about the season, but my opinions have not changed and I feel like we talked a fair bit last episode about our, our thoughts on the season. Um, and they were, they were pretty yeah. fresh at the time, but like I said, it, it hasn't evolved much since then. Yeah. I, um, I, I kind of agree. It's
1: time to, to, to take the season out to a cornfield. We dug a big hole for it. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay. Give, give it the, give it the treatment. um, but I, I I I felt the same way. Like uh, there was two big kind of big interviews, um, but not like a full deconstruction. Like there's yeah, been in yeah. seasons past that was in the Hollywood Reporter and Indie Wire. We talked about that last week. Uh, I kind of waited for another one to come out. Another one, you know, maybe a longer form kind of podcast or something. It didn't. I didn't see one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know I've been thinking. I'm like, yeah, I you know I, I but. Uh, I was kind of worried about how this wrap up would sh- to take place, but then I opened up the feedback, and oh my gosh, we got quite a lot of thoughtful takes um, nice. that I think are going to springboard us onto most of the conversations we want to have anyway. So cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's see what uh, people have to say. These were, of course, submitted by. Uh, uh sending an email to Fargo at Baldmove.com. Uh also I, I will say this since this is the last time we're going to be talking to our Fargo folks, um if you like kind of our coverage of Fargo, some of the more serious stuff we do, I highly recommend following Bald Move Prestige. Mm-hmm. uh, because that's the feed where we do stuff like Fargo. If you wanna, you know, you know you're not you're not maybe a fan of the Marvel cinematic universe or Game of Thrones or some of the space shit or other stuff, but you like you like uh you like quality entertainment, check out Bald Move Prestige. Uh, there's a couple of goodies coming out this month. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, what is it? A 20 year anniversary of of uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Castaway. Uh, yeah, Castaway. Thank you, Wilson. Uh-huh. Uh And we've done. If you like gang stuff, boy, we had a lot of gang stuff. Isn't <sighs> just in the last like two months on Bald Move Prestige, Casino, Goodfellas uh we did the Irishman so like if, if you're kind of into this I, I I do recommend checking out Bald Move Prestige if you want to kind of stay plugged into to the the Bald Move community through the long winter wait for for New Fargo because it does seem like we are going to get New Fargo I haven't heard about FX doing yeah, yeah. it but but this is the first time and I think in a season or two the holiday came like you yeah, actually I have some ideas for season five mm-hmm. um so be on the be on the lookout for that uh, anyway, fargoatbaldmove.com. Matt M. used that ability to send in the following piece of feedback. Uh, the last scene is to let us know that Satchel is Mike Milligan to surprise of no one, but why? Yes, they show him reading How to Win Friends and Influence People, but it's a long ways away from the quiet boy that Satchel was to the outgoing killer that Mike Milligan will become. Why did he change his name? My wife thinks it's because his father traded him, but I think that's pretty thin. I think they, um, so let's talk about, well, no, actually, (laughs) let's keep going on Matt's thoughts. He goes, I think they played the death of Loy wrong. Satchel comes across Zalmer with a bloody knife and telling him, shh, and then goes running off. Satchel turns and sees his father dead and does nothing. The boy just spent four weeks or more walking home to a father uh, that was so happy to see him, and he does nothing. I'm told those, he told those rednecks in the truck that this was his world, and it would be time to explain that to Zalmer, I would think. Uh, we've seen the shotgun next to the front door. That should have been Mike Milligan persona coming out of uh, to party. No one would be taking anything away from him ever again. I understand that having a preteen gunning down a woman could perhaps be difficult to show, but it's definitely been better than what we got, him just staring into his father's eye. Uh, thoughts on that? I got a few, but I- I'm curious to see what you thought about that kind of herky-jerky
0: evolution of Satchel into Mike Milligan. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair criticism although i like i think the real problem here is not necessarily the way that they handled the encounter with zelmer it's more the encounter with those rednecks on the road it was like foot on the gas mike milligan is here uh and and which is why i feel like they should have maybe left it at that because then we could have seen him walking off you know into the sunset and becoming mike milligan uh right the the zelmer thing yeah kind of it maybe reverses that a little bit. I, I mean, I you're coming at it from the angle of like, oh, uh, he should have done more. To, but I. So here's the thing. I don't think that he feels like Loy is his father. Like, yeah, he's his father technically, but he's never really known him. Like, he's been with these Italians for years now. Uh, Rabbi Milligan is the one who's really been his father through this, and I Has feel it like. Been has it been years? Because I, I thought that this whole t-
1: the, the whole thing took place in a span of a year. It does it? Um. Yeah, it starts in 50 and ends in 50, this, the spring of 51. They trade him off in 50? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I yeah, think, you might be right. I think.
0: You might be right. Um, but you look at how Lloyd treated the rest of his family, right? And he's not really the father that's there all the time. Uh, he's more concerned with about accumulating that power. Um, and... You know, his, his family clearly takes a second uh, backseat in his life. So mm-hmm. I, I could get the sense that like Rabbi Milligan, having sort of tutored him for the last year, has become more like a father to him. And so him staring into his eyes and doing not a whole lot sort of makes a little bit of sense there to me. I think I don't know. I think it's also
1: it's it's really tricky to show a child turning into a killer. Right. Sure. um and how like satchel on the road walking back from from uh you know liberal kansas to kansas city uh had to be hard you know because yeah. he was being fucked with and he was vulnerable and i feel like it's a tale if he gets home sets his gun on his bed, his father comes and loves him, his mother comes and loves him, his brothers and sisters are there. Like, now it's like when you get into that situation, like you've been in a fight-or-flight survival response situation, and you start to relax and like, okay, I don't have to be this hard. I can be, you know, um, and and then this happens to you. Like, to me, it's Mm -hmm. like it's just another explanation of, Mike Milligan like you know like I didn't need Satchel to transform into Mike Milligan I needed Satchel to be put on a trajectory where I can see him 20 years in the future oh yes that's Mike Milligan and I felt like the season definitely did that in fact it's almost like uh you can see this as like a um you know to the extent that he might be tempted to think his dad's way of doing things be decent and right and never be underhanded and always keep your word and all that kind of stuff like uh, A repudiation of that. Like my dad did everything "quote unquote" right the way a gangsters were supposed to, and he still got kicked in the teeth. So I'm going to color a little bit outside the lines, and you see a little bit of that with his like treachery with Joe Blue, uh, Bulo and in, in uh, season two. I, I but but I, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think Holly gives a fuck about having a 12 year old blow some somebody's head off. You know, like he, I don't think it's yeah. that kind of problem. It's more of just like, yeah, how can I actually make this story about this child be even more tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh I don't know. It would have been badass for him to shoot Zalmer, but would have been as emotionally effective and would have been as good an end. In- because it's also it's not just the birth of, of Mike Milligan, although it's weird because I feel like Mike Milligan had like three different births this season. You know, <laughs> sure. when he got taken away from his family, when Rabbi Milligan left him, and then when his father finally leaves him. Uh, yeah. But,
0: but, but yeah, that trajectory for sure was there, like you're talking about. Um, because cause you can see, like, okay, maybe Rabbi Milligan, uh, was more of a father to him, maybe he was less of a father to him, but he was certainly a father figure. And certainly that guy, you know, was sort of promising him things, I guess, like, uh, that, that he'd have like a certain amount of protection, and then he just. And, you know, like, hey, uh, every time I leave, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm I'm dead or uh, I'm in jail, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the last time he leaves, he doesn't say that. And there's there's something there. And I like I, I don't want to read too much into it because, like, he's told them that over and over again so many times that Satchel right. knows he's dead or in jail. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a significance to him not saying that the last time and sort of being a weird kind of abandonment uh sort of thing with satchel mm-hmm. but then it, but then yeah. he goes home and i i feel like i don't even know if he recognizes this as home does he like he goes there so he he has some attachment to it it's like how much attachment does he actually have to the family who traded him off i'm yeah especially when you're talking like a 10
1: to 12 year old like that's a year that's is a, a lot like I've time. been thinking about it in terms of my son he's 14 and he's lived in this pandemic for a year that's a long chunk of your time. It's the equivalent yeah. of me doing it for six or seven years, you know, in, in terms of lifespan right. and and whatnot. So that's a yeah, yeah. Kids kids view time a lot different than adults do. That's a good point.
0: And, and that that emotional effect it would have on a kid is much more severe too. The right the the emotional maturity is not there to understand. Okay, well this is something that you know had to be done and blah blah blah. It's all just like how does it feel?
1: Yeah. And you can kind of – I feel like there's also Lemuel there to kind of understand the dynamic of the family. It's not that, like, Lloyd Cannon didn't love his kids. It's just that as you get – as, like, you know, Lemuel got older and got to know more about the world, he recognized that uh, the family is not the number one thing. Right. You know, the accumulation of power. Um, I mean, I mean, I think in Lloyd's mind, it's, it's – you know, we had this discussion the other day about Breaking Bad, you know, like when did – you know, when did Walt stop doing things because he's dying of cancer? Want to prote- protect his family and start doing things because fuck yeah, I like being a crime boss. Um, mm-hmm. I think that stuff probably like if you ask Lloyd, the reason he's doing all these things is to protect his family. Right. You know, the only way you can the only way you can protect your family in this this fucking America is to, you know, uh, tool up, muscle up, uh, get 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 organized, get your money, and you know, protect your community, protect yourself. But I imagine, you know, being Lemuel and Satchel, that gets to be kind of lonely. And it also exposes mm-hmm. kind of hypocrisy. It's like, oh, it's family first, family thirst. But, like, it seems like it's you getting all the power and the money and calling all the shots and us <laughs> in the danger. And yeah, so, uh, yeah. it's But then it's, it's, there's sort of tough. a minor
0: happy ending with the family. So I, I don't know. Like, they lose their father, but also everybody's back together, it's Christmas, they're all around and playing, like, the note it leaves it on is not entirely sour, which is a, a little I, weird. I mean, yeah, it's a death and fun, but, like, so I want to
1: move on to the next email, because it actually talks about this. So a lot of people have, in the last week, to my amazement, watched all of season two to kind of get that, like, oh, you Jesus. know, Mike Milligan connection. Uh, Justin came back and said, Upon completion of season four, I went back to watch all the Mike Milligan scenes. There's been at least three people tell me this, too. (laughs) Okay. Uh, From season two, not this particular thing, but they went back and watched season two. Mm -hmm. uh, And happened to stumble across a prospective clue as to what life was like for Satchel after witnessing the death of his father in 1951. and a scene where Mike sits and stares pensively at the severed head of Joe Pulo, (laughs) he remarks... She was a true gloom, my mother. We used to eat in the dark. Then he shares for a laugh he wrote on her tombstone, here lies Barbara Milligan, happy till the end. Uh, So this implies that after the death of Loy and the collapse of the Black Mafia's hold on the criminal marketplace of Kansas City, they likely left town and changed their names. Buell opting for Barbara and Satchel opting for Mike. I think that's a reasonable you know, explanation other than
0: just Mike
1: telling stories. Um,
0: Well, that's um, where I was going to go. Yeah. This could be just talk.
1: Yeah. But it also could be, you know, that, uh, Buell, Barbara, I I can see that too. Uh, so far I haven't seen Mike, Mike mention any of his siblings, but I can't believe that Hollywood just overlooked that if Mike, if Milligan was a catalyst for season four story, uh, very excited to see how you guys run with this gym. Uh, I think that is very interesting. Like if you take him at his word and that his family had to go into hiding, which seems reasonable, Mm -hmm. um, based on how things were at the end of the season, that like, it's not like the Italian mafia wasn't comfortable with supplanting somebody that's been, you know, perhaps truculent with someone who's a little bit more pliable. Um, and you know, the cannons had to go, uh, it is interesting that her his mom turned into this uh, a, a true gloom character uh, that it, that it you know like uh, a to your expectation. The family had a relative a happy ending <laughs> right. with this. You know, it's like a, it's kind of like Skyler. You, you imagine Skyler yeah. with Walt Junior. and and uh, shit. I've already forgot the baby's name. Uh, his daughter shit oh man uh the memory banks were calling for that and anyway skylar the yeah. baby and walt jr like uh could you just i, I wonder if you could describe a skylar as a true gloom uh for the for the next five to ten years oh yeah um they definitely cast a pall on that happy family seat sitting uh, yeah
0: no that, that could be totally but, uh, right on
1: yeah. And like, you know, that could be, um, and who knows what that would, you know, feed into the Mike Billigan machine. The fact that you had this dynamic father that was killed at, at young and maybe you see him as a little corny or naive, but then your mom is this doom and gloom thing. And none of those. So, like, the idea that then Mike would throw himself into another criminal organization and try to work harder and smarter and get ahead and get it, it's. Um, it sounds like it'd be, I don't know if it's satisfying is the word I'd use as a research, but it sounds like it really connects. And yeah. Holly said one of the things he really wants to do in season five is like a, a future Mike Milligan. Like, you know, Mike Milligan in the, the 90s or early 2000s. And that would be okay. a fascinating bookend to this kind of opera. Yeah. But I don't know, it also breaks like it's its starting to, Fargo's starting to feel a little too connected-y. connected-y you know?
0: A little bit, yeah. As long as they can make it to where you don't need to have watched the, the previous Mike Milligan stories right. to enjoy that one, that's fine.
1: And I think that's that's been true of all. Like you didn't uh-huh. need to know. Um in fact I got one emailer that was like confused why we didn't make a bigger deal about the reveal of Satchel as Mike Milligan. I'm like oh. I, I I was worried that the thing is that we've been talking about it kind of <laughs> exactly. like in a it's like, well, it's like it's not a big it's just a nice connection that when it finally came, I, I felt like redundant to point that that like, oh, yeah, also Satchel's Mike Milligan. You know, what it, the fuck? Here's
0: the thing, though. I'm not sure I would have made that connection had I not been doing the research uh, on the Internet where people figure that out. Day one, like literally episode one, people were like Satchel is Mike Milligan. Boom called it and and noah holly himself says it was never meant to be a secret i don't know how much he's bullshitting because you know after the fact like oh people figured it out shit i guess i didn't i wasn't as clever as i thought let's just say you know that it was it was never a secret but uh, if you're
1: a fan of Fargo like it's like that you you'd maybe watch a season again every couple of years or so like Mike Milligan is like a such a you know a central figure that I feel yeah. like that the, the just a rabbi Milligan and the
0: black white kid swap that the juices would have flown pretty pretty freely but maybe but yeah there, there's a lot of stuff that people pointed out that I wouldn't have caught on to. Um, sure. so I can see it but yeah, it was never really according to Holly meant to be uh, a secret. Or a big reveal. Yeah. And like you said, we had yeah. been talking about it so long in this season that it didn't feel like a huge reveal that we needed to talk a lot about at the, the end of this
1: season. I do suspect that, like, some of the stuff we talk about in the feedback section, and I, I, I know statistically that, like, <laughs> uh, two-thirds of, or a third of the audience just, just doesn't listen to the feedback. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we got the listening statistics, so... uh you know if, if you're one of those who you, you miss a lot of good stuff a lot of good connective discussion and stuff well they're not um, listening right
0: now to this mostly all true. feedback episode that's true <laughs> so oh, this
1: is all feedback click yeah um,
0: <laughs> we're getting geared up for the sixth annual summer badass fest and while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy we've got an early action-packed announcement to make
1: Anyway, moving on to Louis B. He said, nice work on the Fargo podcast. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks. it. I agree with everything you said about the finale and the series in general. But in defense of Brian Cranston, what he has done since he left Breaking Bad, won two Tony Awards. Yeah, Tony's uh, uh,
0: Tonys don't count to oh, me. Oh, I, don't, I don't care oh. about Tony's. <laughs> okay. You can win okay. 50 Tony's. Right. What What have you done on TV? What have you done in movies? It's all about the Jimmies of this guy. He just yeah. fucked the Tony's. Yeah, the Baldies. Uh, How many Baldies have you won, Mr.
1: Cranston? <laughs> Not, not, uh, well, I think we, yeah, I don't think he was a part of the Baldy era, but he sure, certainly would have won a few if, if we'd have done it. Yeah. But uh, he played LBJ in a movie. Which, sure, uh, I saw that one. Yep. He was nominated for an Oscar in Trumbo. He did a great job in that movie. I want to watch okay. this movie. Um, I just watched Mank, which <laughs> okay. was Gary uh, the Gary Oldman playing this, like, you know... Red Scare era Hollywood writer. It sounds like Trumbo is exactly the same kind of lane. And I found um, Mank really fascinating. Uh, So I I need to go back and watch that one. Uh, He made a few other movies that were fair. I'd say he's done well after playing such an iconic figure. I I think that the problem is Brian Cranston is a very good character actor. And he had this one, you know, he had this really starring, like, like sensational starring role. But it's like, yeah, I get, you know, if he goes back to having like a Gary Oldman career for the rest of his life, that's, that's a pretty fucking good career. Speaking of man, it is, you know?
0: Yeah, but it's not high profile. I'm looking for yeah. stuff that like really breaks out into the mass audience um, and millions of people are watching and talking about and, you know, in the way that millions of people watched and talked about Breaking Bad and, you know, he, he hasn't done that and that's fine. You know, he's got a great career. It's just he needs a. Zorg. I love Brian a... Cranston, and I want to see him in more stuff that I'm actively watching. He needs a Zorg from Fifth Element type of role. The the
1: uh, sure. father of the Godzilla guy didn't quite cut it. He needs a uh, maybe a, high a, a mega Zorg.
0: Yeah. He was in that Power <laughs> Rangers like... uh, movie? Was he really? Yeah, he played a. Uh, what what's the computer? Uh, what's that computer? Uh, oh, personality. Jesus. He played yeah. that
1: yeah the vix vapor mist kind uh-huh. of looking dude yeah uh he's also i mean i mean if we want to run down he was in driver really amazing bit uh-huh. rolling driver yep. oh uh, in a scene was, i can hardly
0: even watch it's oh it's a,
1: it's a it's a it's a one of the all-time sc- you know fucking chilling screen deaths yeah uh he was also in something else that um shit
0: he just he's recently not, in a movie solo. about a, a, a crooked judge trying to get his uh son off yeah that just came out just yet. dropped
1: yeah i haven't seen it yet so he's 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 he's, he's had a lot of, a lot of good a lot of good character uh actor moments i don't think he's gonna be you know probably a leading man that that kind of thing but he's at he's had a fine career i don't yeah, know this uh, is the go podcast. back go
0: back to television cranston like forget your tony you won all the tonys right you've done enough with the tonys get get back to some yeah, I don't know maybe go for a Grammy and then come back to television uh and get another T- leading me, role tell me that you don't wanna see brian cant uh
1: cast in a b tier part in next season of Fargo oh That's- yes perfect. Like some kind of Nick Offerman type kind of oddball weirdo, like, you know, very likable, memorable quotes like he crushed. Yeah, that. that's that's I was, I was trying to bring it back to Fargo. It's we need to bring Cranston back <laughs> for the first time to
0: Fargo. You had the small pond where you were the big fish. Come on back. The water's fine. <laughs> uh, Seb is the next one up.
1: They say this may be a bit of an obvious point, but something that I think stopped this latest season of Fargo feeling properly Fargo-ish is that the other seasons began with a murder. And the unraveling of an inexperienced criminal as this individual seasons progressed really helped give a good skeletal structure where the stakes get raised along with their paranoia. I think this lack of structure was noticeable in the newest season as it had a lot of good ideas, but no solid connections. Uh I agree. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's why a lot of people are kind of struggling and why why isn't it isn't
0: because it is. This it, it had a very unfargoish structure. Yeah, there um, there is the murder of Donatello, but it doesn't it's not that incompetence. It's not that like al- almost accidental yeah. murder or the murder of passion by an amateur. It's
1: if it was that, it would have been about the little boy scout kid that actually accidentally shot him Yeah, him being hunted down by the why is this <laughs> happening to me like but obviously, that's that's not how it went. Um, it wasn't a bad season They continue. It just didn't feel much like Fargo to me. Yeah. The sillier aspects did not gel with the serious ones in an organic way the way they have in previous seasons. And I think part of it is that we didn't have a proper, another big key difference, point of view police character. I know other people have pointed it out, uh, and Seb's going to do here too. Uh, although we had Weff, he did not meet the archetype of the downtrodden officer fighting against a corrupt or incompetent system, as we saw in previous seasons. Weff seems more like a foil to the character that would have been there. And Deffy, although he had his moments, had a very fleeting minor antagonist just there to stir things up, really. Uh, I, I think that's another. Yeah, those are two key. It, it, it wasn't like um, a relative innocence. First brush with the darkness of murder yeah, and, you know, the cover up and all that that kept embroiling and meshing and, and complicating things. I mean, that's what drove the original Fargo and all the other previous yeah. Fargo seasons.
0: No, you're right. Um, uh, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but that seems to be the quintessential Fargo uh, device that works so well. Um, and, and then paired that with a police
1: officer investigating that always gives that nice through threads with, uh, yeah. you know, uh, people, pe- people being able to make that connection back to like, oh, it's about Gloria or, oh, it's about,
0: you know, Molly or Molly's dad, you know. Um, yeah. And then maybe we're rapid- seeing, you know, the effects of getting farther away from the Fargo-ness of Fargo and more into like Holly making this his own thing. Um you know, because he's still doing Cohen stuff, right? But it's a it's a broader palette, um, and it's also now he he maybe feels confident enough to do something that is his own, something he's you know been thinking about and wants to make a statement on uh, in these these Fargo seasons. I I guess this can be the place for that, but you're right in, in those moments, it doesn't feel as much like Fargo.
1: Um. Oh, totally agree. And Seb wraps up by saying, I hope you are both staying well in these difficult times, and thank you for continuing to provide us great commentary to enhance our films and TV shows. Have a wonderful Christmas and try to take some proper time off. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. And we are. We are going to. I think Mm -hmm. next week is our last full working week, and then we'll have two weeks off uh, to enjoy the Yule time and uh, then get back to it in the new year. Tommy from North Carolina. I managed to agree with you both as I usually do. Holly did indeed swing for defense, but for every home run, there's plenty more strikeouts. And in the end, there just wasn't enough to watch the story beautifully collapse into itself all on its own. There's no glorious blaze at sunset, but a lot of people turned out and worked their asses off because the sets, the costume design, the cast, the direction, the camera work were all superb. Uh, I echo that sometimes we don't spend enough time praising the amazing things of, of
0: Fargo because, yeah, the cinematography.
1: Um, yeah,
0: I I'd take uh, a little bit of umbrage with the idea that the cast was perfect, but OK, the rest of that. Yeah, the, I mean, it is it does look great and sound great. And you're right. There was
1: a few few casting misfires and maybe it's one of those things that's like if the other some I don't know. Um, I think it, oh boy, we're going to eventually get around to the writing because I think that's the thing. It's like the the stew just didn't quite come together this year. Like yeah. individual moments of brilliance and everybody's, you know, had clean consciousness and, and full hearts working on a project It just, you know, sometimes, uh, th- things are, 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 messy, like racial relations in America. Mm-hmm. Um, with Holly, I'm always down for the ride. No matter where we're going, I'd eat this for every supper with two spoons. By the way, I'm a two, three, one branch of the Fargo family waiting to see where four will eventually settle. What are you? Wait, wait, so this is a wow. good point to kind of like contextualize because I think I'm a I think I'm a, a the rare three, one, two. Ooh, yeah. I think the Vargo season was the best. Vargo. <laughs> the Vargo. <laughs> uh, and then I really like the first one, and then the second one. I don't. I kind of probably need to go back and rewatch that because in my mind it was just a big disappointment with the UFO that sticks out there, and I don't know if that's right. fair. But yeah, three, one, two, and I, I and and four. I think for a lot of the reasons Seb mentioned, I have a hard time placing it. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got Star Wars: A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back uh star trek a journey, uh the voyage home and then return of the jedi which is your favorite star film <laughs> like well well one one of those things isn't like the others at
0: all yeah. like you know no that's fair uh i feel like i'm a one one three two four maybe i i I I I don't know. There are things about two that I really like the 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 Meth Damon, uh, Kirsten Dunt stuff, um, all that stuff I really like the 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 stuff with what's his name Patrick uh, shit I can't remember his Warburton. name. But all Wilson. Lou Salverson, yeah, Patrick Wilson, um, all that stuff I really like. It's just like did the stuff with the Gerhards work out? exactly uh as i wanted it to i don't know it's some of it's good but then there's the ufo stuff um hansi man was so good uh hansi's great yeah it's and, and you know mike milligan obviously can't be overlooked uh yeah but King i do too Byron, strong really amazing i wonder i wonder if i'm not uh, just a one two three four guy <laughs> just yeah. straight got- straight up
1: that's that. That season two cast is amazing. The uh, yeah, yeah. It, it introduced me to Rachel Keller, which I then went on to really enjoy in, in Legion. Um, it's such an it's such a great cast, but mm-hmm. it, it's very hard because like it, when I say I'm a three one two guy, I there's really small shades that you yeah. know that 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 uh, separate those. And if it wasn't like you know if a Vm Varga wasn't See, in season three, I think it would, you know, probably be my least favorite. But he's, I think, my favorite Fargo villain. So he kind of like yeah. gets up to the top with the a, a bullet. But yeah, it's tough. Um, Tommy ends with, as far as the country's grand design, there's an establishment nearby, up the county seat, up in the county seat, next to an ancient airstrip that we call simply the Pig, and they'll smoke you a whole whole hog if you ask real nice with some chicken while they're at it, and that's just to show off, and that. Whole hog is on the pit right now cooking. And while it's true that looking ain't cooking, one must still regard it, must patiently, lovingly tend to it from beginning to end. We're just not there yet, but that shit's going to be so good when it's finally ready and all will be welcomed. P.S. B.Y.O.B. Amen. Amen, brother. I, I do <laughs> right. hope we can we can all have that countrywide barbecue one of these days. Uh, Jared, thought you might be interested in checking out this short 20-minute podcast from our local KC, Kansas City NPR podcast about the show... What the show got right and wrong about Kansas City. Love the coverage. Um, I'll include this link in the show notes. Uh, or I guess Jim will because I'll send it to him. But it's, it is pretty good. It's, it's interesting because it says guy who's an expert in Kansas City Mafia, which is a real whole thing, like a whole history oh, yeah. goes into like, you know, uh, kind of bemoaning the fact that Kansas City's never got its moment to shine in the great gangster films. It's always like an add on of like Casino, right? Oh, yeah. There's sure. the Kansas City Mafia and all that kind of stuff. Um, versus the guy who was the histor historical consultant for Fargo season 4 saying like look we weren't telling that story but the cars were cool and i tried to make the buildings look as Kansas City as i could even though it was like was was in i think it was in a suburb of Chicago hmm. uh so but it's 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 a really it's it's i thought it was an interesting conversation i said it's only 20 minutes long so check it out if you're looking for more Fargo uh but yeah it's this is not This is not even remotely historically accurate. None of this stuff actually happened for a quote unquote true story. Yeah. I don't know people have figured out that whole thing with Fargo. It's (laughs) it's bullshit. Uh (laughs) It's what we call a framing device. But um, Renan says, first of all, thank you so much for the amazing podcast this season. Well, thank you. It's not the best Fargo we've received, but I found it quite enjoyable. And your podcast helped bring a lot of meaning and insight. Truthfully, nothing could have lived up to the sky high anticipation I had. And working on set as a background actor, ooh, inside information! Hmm. Throughout the season, really kicked into high gear. My desire to see how the final product looked and turned out post edit. I attempted to shout your episodes recaps and send people your way on several Facebook groups as well. Particularly after the episode nine wrap up and your insights into the political meanings of The Wizard of Oz, which I found fascinating. And I tried. I tried. (laughs) You did. uh, You did a good. I I appreciate the 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 sweat equity there, and a lot of people did. Cool. And we appreciate you sharing that. You know, that's how that's how we grow here. It's uh, we don't do any marketing. It's all word of mouth and and algorithms. So thanks for that. Uh, My question for the next or the last episode is this. Where did you get the info about Bakim Woodbine and Brad Mann, uh, the kitchen brother, coming back and doing reshoots? I've read and watched nearly every interview with Noah Hawley, and every indication I've seen is that this was taken from season two footage. Someone on one of the Facebook groups insisted yeah. it's from after The Undertaker was killed on the way to meet Ed, the butcher of La Verge. I can't, I forget how to pronounce that. Maybe an outtake from a slightly different angle, but th- of that shooting date. Any insight on this or where you got that info that Bakeem was brought back for this or other scenes that weren't used? Uh, I took this information from the Hollywood Reporter interview. Um, it's the November 29th, 2020 by Josh Winger entitled Fargo season four finale. How that final twist came to life. And he asked a question Josh did. Did you play around with other versions of the final scene of Bokeem Woodbine? And Holly said, there were other versions. There was a version where after Lloyd's death, we jumped forward in time to the 90s. And we see Bokeem now as part of this corporate engine, the Kansas City Mafia. When we last saw him in season two, we left him in an office with a typewriter. It's going to be this idea that he prospered in that business on some level. But now we understood his past. We would understand that he was passing in order to do it. The truth is we filmed a version of that and it didn't work as far as I could, uh, felt. It felt like we got 30 minutes into the finale and then we jump into a whole new story where you're going to have to watch multiple scenes. It didn't feel like a satisfying ending. It, in fact, started a whole other story. I wondered if we needed to reshoot things. We talked about doing an L.A. reshoot with new scenes written. So, I i mean, this implies to me that there was a Fargo-ish episode length, 45 to 50 minutes of additional 15 to 20 minutes of Bakeem Woodbine being Mike Milligan that they actually did film. They said that they they did film it. It was multiple scenes, so somewhere... Unless Holly's lying, there is a a, a, a role of film of of, of Bokeem doing this stuff. and I thought as as far as whether this the stuff that actually got in the episode is old or new, I thought Bokeem looked a little bit slightly heavier in the face well, It's like like definitely he was old
0: re- like the, one of the interviews is I it? read with with Fuck Holly, me, he was specifically asked about the footage that was that made it into the show um and and about the cuts that I mentioned uh, under Kitchen Brother's eye. And, and asked, does this mean that it takes place after the events of season two? And he's like, well, uh, that that is, you know, old footage and one of the, you know, that's footage from season two. And one of the great things about this is that you can kind of place it wherever you want. Um, And these huh. stories, like these stories not being explicitly connected very often means like, but to me, like it happens after season two. But he does say in that interview that this is old footage from season two that they repurposed for this. So- Okay. Yeah, they must have cut just everything they shot in those those reshoots. And uh, it makes sense if it's all mu- set
1: in the '90s that yeah, you, know, you wouldn't use the same you, stuff. You, you wouldn't use that. So it's like it seems like it's um, both things are true that that last scene is old footage of him, but right. there is entire scene shot in a, of a 1990 uh, Booking Woodbine. Uh, You know, in his new position in Kansas City and that stuff exists somewhere, whether we're, you know, what, maybe it'll be on the DVD or Blu-ray for season four. But but it seems like both both things are true because I got afraid when when you sit that in, like, oh, shit, did I misspeak? But no, he he did say that they shot it. They filmed a version of this with several scenes. So and it's in the true Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood reporter, not the true Hollywood I think that everything they report on is factual. At the beginning of every article, it's like, this is a true story. Right, right. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Eric. Hey, guys. Just became a Bald Move Premium member and appreciate everything you do. Hey. Mm, Thank you. like hearing that. Top of the line content adds a lot to shows I enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. As for the Fargo season four, I agree wholeheartedly with your overall view that it was entertaining but messy. Typically a Fargo, the aesthetics were great and handled incredibly well. Costume, scenery, decor, etc, always compelling on this show and season four is no different, but the storylines felt disappointingly short of the visual stimulation that the season provide. That said, I had two thoughts I wanted to get your input on, one broad and one more narrow. First up, broadly speaking, I think one of you expressed last week the show just felt off a bit more than it could or a bit off a bit more than it can chew this season. The theme of the plight of minorities trying to get ahead in America is big enough thing to tackle, but I think Holly and the writers shot themselves in the foot by trying to get us invested in far too many characters and stories. Think of all the potentially compelling figures that ended up as getting shorter shrift than they deserved. Loy, Oretta, Ethelreda, Satchel, Mike, uh, or Satchel slash Mike, Weff, the Smutney family, Josta, Rabbi, all somewhat set up as main characters, so to speak. Any couple of them would have been compelling to focus on, But to me, at least, they spread the storyline in an often seemingly disconnected way amongst all of them, diluting the potential impact and making it difficult to invest the way we did in season one. For example, when you had Lorne and Lester, they were the clear centerpieces, and people like the supermarket king never really threatened our ability to stay invested. In my mind, it also weakened the show's ability to drive home the ethical and moral points that we think the season was trying to raise, such as racial inequality, uh, issues with current versions of American history, etc. Thoughts on this? Um,
0: I'm, I'm trying to think. How big is the cast in season two? Is it pretty big? I mean, you've got like the, between the Gerhardts with and,
1: multiple brothers and their children, uh-huh. and the matriarch, and then you've got the, the Casey Mafia. rivals and you got the Casey Mafia and the Kitchen Brothers, and you got Lou and his family and his extended family. And you got Hanzi, uh, which is a part of that Gerhardt clan. It's and pretty got, big. It's
0: it is pretty big. I'd say season three and one are probably easily the smallest. Season two is it has a very big cast, and they did a great job on that. Yeah. You know, with a with minor exception, but have you ever heard the term
1: uh oppression Olympics, Jim? No. Okay. Because this gets thrown around a lot. This is a term that came out of like late 70s feminism, but it's been most often used as like a a way to decry identity politics. So it's like this idea that you get a room full of like feminist Native Americans, black people, Latino people, disabled people, white people, people that grew up in broken homes, people that have every privilege imaginable. Uh, You get all these people together and then all points in between, right? Because you got black disabled people and you got Native American women and. Sure. Uh, you got rich black men and you, 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 you get all these points in between where all their issues intersect and they all have legitimate issues with society. You know, who gets heard, who gets to have a voice, whose problems get taken priority. Um, a lot of times these, these discussions get stereotyped into like, uh, well, you know, let's find out who's the most oppressed, and we'll begrudgingly listen to them because they'll just browbeat us into their, you know, because they're so fucking oppressed. The oppression Olympics. Yeah. Um, but I think in another context, this would be a crazy thing to argue. Like, if you're in an emergency room and you got, like, gunshot victims, people having heart attacks, cancer patients, somebody just needs stitches. And you got doctors and nurses yeah. with limited time and attention running around trying, like, okay, who's who's the worst hurt? Who's got a time-sensitive thing? And they're classifying it by all that kind of – and taking people in turn. No one yeah. in that situation is like – the fuck is this? Some kind of health crisis Olympics? What's this bullshit? Trying to determine who needs the most help and who's got the most pressing need, and 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 I feel like that's why we have triage. Uh, that's philosophies, triage, right? right? Like, yeah. And you know, in an emergency room when you're doing triage, especially after a big disaster, it's chaotic and it's noisy and it's messy and the people are making mistakes and bad judgment and people aren't honest completely and giving their medical in people trying to game the system, right? Mm -hmm. But you can make pretty good TV out of that. Like shit, ER was 12 seasons long of essentially (laughs) just that. Like look at how crazy this shit is. Um, Yeah. But you know, ER never tried to stuff a whole gang war like plot line in it's an entire season that's like i'm sure they had the gangbanger episode and you know doug is there like oh my god this is a mess why are we killing each other but it's it's not a whole season long because you know what er wouldn't have the patience to focus on that kind of thing for that long and yeah I, i i just wonder that that's where i was going to this whole morality play right like what holly was clearly interested in is this er aspect of like Josto had a point. It's bullshit the way his people are being treated. yeah Lloyd Cannon had a point. It's bullshit the way his people are being treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Swanee had a point. It's bullshit the way her people have been historically treated and they're still being treated. Who gets the most spotlight who gets to win the arguments? uh that's a messy chaotic noisy process and then you're gonna stuff it all within the framing of a of a of a gang war. That people yeah. have conventional thoughts of how it should go and are invested in that, and you know how how the hell do you do that, you know? And and now you and and all Holly clearly wants to tell talk about this stuff, but all he's got is a, a vehicle is Fargo to drive around in. So you yeah. got this kind of chaotic story that was interesting, but it itself wasn't as interested in the centerpiece of the thing, which was the
0: gang war, right? um so and you know the, the centerpiece being the murders right in previous seasons have always been a, pr- a pretty small scale thing to center around um and this is a much larger scale thing uh and it, I, you know i bring up season two and its large cast of characters to simply point out that like it's not the number of characters that does it right it's the the number of th- Themes that you're going for the the number of messages you're trying to convey to the audience, and that's where things get tricky in the writing. Um, Because you can have you know 15 characters that that each get a scene to characterize them, and then we we know them, but they all are working toward a common goal. Um, This one felt like, man, there are 15 different moving parts and and 15 things that he's trying to say about society in each scene and and we're getting it but the, because you're not able to really focus uh, enough time on any one thing it it doesn't feel as cohesive as it needs to yeah and that's the thing like i i
1: i feel that earlier feedback that said like deffy could have been that character but like, but Duffy's is... another wrinkle. Yeah. It's, and that's the thing. I was like, so, so you need like a, a, morally neutral. Like if you could have an alien land on earth as a marshal and be like, <laughs> all right, fucking Italians, <laughs> they black could. people, native Americans. Let's let's, I'm going to be, but you, who yeah. are you going to like, I was thinking like, what if you cast like a native, like this, like bitter native American cop that happened to be a marshal and he's, tr- and, and and he or she's trying to, to figure all this shit out. But I'm like, well, they're not from a neutral frame, you know? No. Uh, So what they did is they had like a a a waspy guy, Mm -hmm. who's clearly like the villain, playing that. So like you don't he he doesn't have he he hates everybody kind of that's not like him, and that kind of worked, but it also kind of didn't because he's an antagonist towards
0: everyone essentially. So I don't know. And you know by casting Raylan Givens by casting uh sure Seth Bullock uh in that role they're sort of bringing another element of like you know, the the Wild West and the the sheriff yeah. and the outlaw and like it, it, that's another Cowboys thing. Don't forget yeah, Swanee and Zalmer, like the outlaws, right, are, are another wrinkle and the fact that uh, Swanee is a Native American is another fucking wrinkle and like yeah, it's gonna feel hodgepodge. It's gonna feel like too much is going on because too much is going on. And I don't think it's yeah. the number of characters though. It's It's the number of Uh, topics that he's approaching.
1: Uh, So that's the broad stroke. Uh, Eric continued with a more narrow focus uh, question. The specific one is during the podcast covering story Americana, you touched on the idea that Loy was supposed to present as a competent one amongst fools. And this uh, justified the casting of Jason Schwartzman as Josto wasn't supposed to be the most serious character. I don't know that I view Loy as all that competent though. I appreciate they set him up as a gangster with a moral compass uh, but you can't be a competent gangster and have a moral compass. Can you imagine Tony Soprano reacting in a measured and thoughtful way to a rival crew killing and uh, Anthony, or letting the equivalent of Gaetano walk free, or letting the equivalent of Josto or Evil walk away without telling him his son was dead? Loy well, is creative and clearly ahead of his time, sure, but in terms of execution, he wasn't effective. Could better leadership for his faction have changed the outcome? Probably not, but a more competent Loy would have been uh, better driven home their point about the inability of bright minority minds to get ahead, I think. I also wonder if casting Chris Rock in that role hurt that narrative. He had some great moments, but I wonder if the casting someone with more gravitas and dramatic chops would have, again, done more to counter Schwartzman's fumbling portrayal of Josto to drive home the theme of the uphill battle faced by the black community in America. Thanks again for my money you guys are the best TV podcasters around and I appreciate your work. Uh thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. What do you think about this? I, I think he's he's right. Uh Chris Rock never quite got there for me. Um I, I I don't think he was bad and like you said he did have his moments, but yeah, if if I but but I like let's put oh, let's put fucking anybody else in this role. Let's put uh Idris Elba. Let's put fucking uh, I don't know, Denzel Washington uh, from American Gangster in this role, right? Tons of gravitas. Holy shit, this guy's leaking gravitas out his ears. Uh The plot still is not there to make him look like a badass because he does lose in the end. He also takes several calculated risks that do not pay off, like releasing Gaetano he thought that this was going to cause, you know, a shitstorm within the Italian gang and it doesn't like none of his plans go off the way he wants them to. And that makes him look foolish. So no matter who you've got in that role, they're going to look foolish. They're going to look a little less than.
1: Yeah. And I think that's possibly part of the point that Holly's making because, you know, we talked about this in a a previous episode about like, uh, you know, a lot of times you hear like, well, you know, if black, black people did this or that they would have it easier if they like dressed a certain way or looked more respectable or did all this stuff and then you look at like you know in the actual 50s and 60s at the height of the civil rights where you had people like very respectable serious minded yeah. folks and their sunday best marching
0: mm-hmm.
1: and getting dogs sucked uh, uh, sicked on them and, and getting batoned and beat down in the streets and i just today i saw on twitter someone passing around a survey I think it was from 1961 asking white folks about uh, whether uh, black protests did more harm than good for the civil rights movement. And 85% of white respondents said it did more harm than good. Of course. 50 years, 60 years down the road, we see that that was just bullshit. Like there's no form of protest that uh, a black person could do in that time that would have been seen as acceptable by the white community and yet progress was made. So like, is it possible that like (laughs) a, a more badass or competent or gravitas black actor could have sold this story? Perhaps, but also is it part of the thing that's like, you know- uh, this this is this guy's essentially um uh uh uh, uh, uh Vito Corleone being played by Chris Rock, and <laughs> uh huh that that you know that that wasn't good enough so yeah, yeah. this this all all good questions though all good mm-hmm. questions to consider uh next up we got Br and Milwaukee. I like the two of you was disappointed in this season of Fargo while still better than most shows. I wasn't at the level the first two seasons or even the third. I did enjoy However, the finale much more than the bald move uh, peeps did, which leads me to two questions. Uh, what is a chronological order of the four seasons in case I want to watch the other three in order? And who are your two favorite characters this year? Mine are Rabbi Milligan and nurse Mayflower. Uh, let the first one because it's, it's is easy to answer.
0: Four, two, one, three. Is that right? You got or four, it. Four, two, three, season, one. Okay,
1: you got it. Season one's two thousand six. Season two is set in nineteen seventy nine. Season three is set in two thousand ten, and season four is nineteen fifty. So um, now I will say that I don't know that's the, that's necessarily the 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 order that you should watch things in. Mm, yeah. You know? yeah. Because this is this is always a big debate about like which, you know, if you got a kid that hasn't seen Star Wars, which which do you, do you show him the prequels first and then the sequels right. and then or do you show him like one, two and then you pause and <laughs> do, you know, Empire, the you know, New Hope Empire and then you do three, then Return of the Ge- Like it's all kinds of stuff like I you know, it's a different experience and you can only have the experience once, you know, like. Broadcast airing is not an invalid way to watch a, a series. For
0: certain. I, I show him the Mandalorian first, and then I show him Return, <laughs> Return of the Jedi, and they get so disappointed. You really want to? You really want to fuck with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look,
1: look at this badass. He's what, what's <laughs> going to happen to him? Um, as far as the the favorite character, uh, Rabbi Milligan was was really great. I really liked him, but yeah. I got to throw in my love behind Doctor Senator hell yeah he was an amazing character and honestly that was a that, that was a real blow i think to the series uh they needed to kill him when he did i'm not great but it it was a real moment it really bummed me out cuz he was so so amazing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but uh, co- uh yeah uh nurse mayflower like her the the per- physical performance of this role yeah and the committing to this really you know, type th- th- this 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 particular type of uptight asshole. Uh, I thought was was pretty entertaining.
0: Mm-hmm. Who's your favorites? I mean, Milligan is is. I I don't know for for me like a favorite character or a favorite portrayal of a character because like Weff, man, Houston does an amazing job with Weff. Mm. I think uh he he's fantastic as he always is um and then you know Jesse Buckley as Orietta is outstanding as well um uh, like my favorite character is probably Rabbi Milligan I thought in the, with the first
1: few episodes it was going to be Ethelreda no doubt but I feel like that yeah they they really boy the middle part of that season just shelved her yeah. Um. Kind of took. Kind of took the narrative away from her, and they brought her back. It brought it back around in the end. Man, I. I hmm, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it'd be an interesting experiment to take the raw footage of this season and like recut, especially the middle pieces, to see if you can get, you know, bring some of that stuff more to the forefront. Because the framing device of her writing a history on America, um, from her point of view, I think was really interesting. And I don't, mm. but by the, by the final episode, I'd forgot about that that device. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a way you could cut some of the stuff that turns out not to matter as much and focus on that somehow.
0: Maybe tighten up the season. Uh, The the other honorable mention here is Swanee. I really like Swanee. She doesn't get a ton Mm. of time, but the stuff she does get is fantastic.
1: Yeah. Swanee and Zelmer, and other ones that were like, I thought, crowd pleasers as far as uh, their larger than life performance and the, the impact they had on the show and- um, this they get closed out. And I guess definitely, you could throw in that same pile. They got closed out in dramatic fashion. And then is this kind of a, a stinger for the end of the series? Zalmer. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but yeah, hopefully that answers your questions. Moving on to Danielle, I'm a brand new viewer of this show. I've never seen the movie or the previous three seasons, but I was drawn in this season by the Hulu promo with Chris Rock and the pandemic binging. Of course. Of course, Mm -hmm. it brings in a lot of people. Having no prior experience with the universe of characters, I really enjoyed the season overall. Uh, The math line from Rabbi Milligan is now an essential refrain I sprinkle in conversations from time to time. (laughs) Uh, his views on math in particular, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, it did make these, it did make sense on the episode 11 podcast when I think it was Jim said that he liked the parts better than the whole. I felt like some things were a little truncated as the season plugged along. Uh, Lloyd's story was definitely a display of how black people have to work twice as hard to get half as much, basically regardless of how much smarter we are, how much harder we work. There's always a possibility that whiteness will deny us progress. I really thought that he was going to make it and his final gasp in the ports felt like a real punch to the gut. Mm-hmm. Uh I've had it's it's interesting because um I, I hear I, I've heard a lot from like black folks on this podcast and like uh, Native American folks unfortunately in the last category, <laughs> more stuff I was doing wrong than right, but uh <laughs> hell, I appreciate learning all the same. Uh yeah, and yeah. I think that's that's interesting that like um well it's not interesting, it's it's kind of obvious that like some of this stuff would speak to them, Like, for example, the yeah. one that I got the most feedback on was like Loy seeing the credit card billboard mm-hmm. and just like the bone wariness of like, God damn, you know, Whitey doing An- it again. Another
0: thing taken from. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Appropriated. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's um, it's uh, it, it's interesting to have those different perspectives. And that's the other thing. It's like, you know, uh, if what doesn't speak to, to me or Jim or other people uh, might be like, I fuck. The Leftovers is a perfect example of a show yeah. that didn't resonate with a lot of people, but God damn, it felt like it was made for for me and to resonate particularly with me. So, uh, and I like, the, I like the chance The Bald Move gives us, I guess, because we give ourselves a chance to to, to cover shows like niche year shows like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Leftovers and Fargo. Uh, she continues, I do feel that Ethel Rita was especially wasted. I'm going to blame it on the pandemic. I almost felt like she was operating in a totally different show. Man, that's why I was really hoping for one of those multi-page, hour-long podcasts where Noah Hawley would just talk about all the fucking pain and angst of this season because it's it's got to be. Yeah. Or maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion. I don't know. It just seems like if you really squint and, and look, there's something a lot grander than what I actually made it to the screen here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she continues, I'm now four episodes into season two because I was especially intrigued by Satchel becoming Mike Milligan and had to see him in action as an adult. The short clip of Bokeem Woodbine really hooked me because I had no idea he was a part of this universe. I remember him from Jason's Lyric, which is a deep cut from my high school days, but a classic nonetheless. I'm in the middle of episode four pod and I stopped to send this email. After I finish the season, I'm going to start season one. And finally, wrap up a season three. I'm looking forward to uncovering additional connections between the seasons. Uh, That's a lot of fun of this show. Um, It's unexpected because like when Fargo began, I never thought that there would be all these connections to kind of run through. But really, it's season three is kind
0: of on its its own little island. Everything else is very
1: connected, (laughs) as it turns out.
0: Yeah, I am mean, thinking back to like season one when we were watching it and we we're like, oh, the big connection here is the bag of money, right? Like <laughs> Right to the Fargo film. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So we were looking for those connections, and I don't I don't think there are a ton of connections, but there there's enough You're there right. to see that, oh, these are these are bones are all part of this one skeleton. They're Easter eggs is what they they happen to be. Uh, except for
1: that, yeah. I think I feel like, yeah, like it can't help but inform your understanding of Mike Milligan to watch this season like For sure. in, in a way. And I, I guess that's the same. as is true. Like th- to understand Molly Salverson, uh-huh. you know, uh, it added a lot to go back to season two and see how that kind of formed her into the police woman. She was. Um, so yeah, it kind of, maybe they've always been a little bit, but that's, it's, it's more like Easter egg stuff than anything. Uh, but anyway, Danielle concludes with the PS postscript. I'm a black woman from Kansas city. Okay. Uh, Aaron, I really enjoyed hearing your take on the race and whiteness that you mentioned on your Three Right Turns podcast, uh, the unbearable whiteness episode that you mentioned during the first episode of the recap. Uh, thank you for all your content. You're always giving me something else to consider about what I've watched. Yeah, I appreciate you checking that out, Danielle. And if anybody else is interested in the more political stuff, like the the suppression Olympics kind of stuff, um, I talk about that a lot over on Three Right Turns on the Swizzbold Network, swizzbold.com. So check it out if you're if you're inclined to. Uh, then got a couple more, uh, Dan says, Hey guys, observation and question as listening to your coverage of last episode and it reminded me of a saying a long ago, ex-girlfriend said to me when the love is thin, the faults are many. She said this to me right before we mutually decided we should break up. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the <laughs> well, time that's to, cool say to stick with you. Yeah. Uh, My wife and I, oh, see, it's got a happy ending. My wife and I loved this season and all the Fargo seasons, even more so than Legion. And I think we're just in with Fargo. Maybe it's the vibe or the quirkiness or fun casting, whatever. Plus, we know the other one was having fun, which probably helps unconsciously. Uh, It's interesting to think about when we stop being along for that ride and start watching more skeptical. That's what happened for me in the past, uh, such as in Game of Thrones uh, last few seasons when I start nitpicking things that I might not if I was still, quote-unquote, in. Like arguing the tactical intelligence of a headlong charge into White Walkers when he made all those defenses, or in this case, for you all, wondering if the real or previous movie version Mafia Dons would really act like they did in certain circumstances. But my question for you is, beyond plot issues or the inability to coherently tell a powerful story about race, was there a moment you remember feeling like the show had lost you? It seemed like it was early listening to the season recaps as they came out. I'm curious about why I like certain things and why others do and how those opinions form and when they become strongly held to the point where they even change how we watch the shows. Thanks for Fargo recaps and happy holidays. Um, Can I can I I I want to answer this feedback with another piece of feedback. Okay. I think it'll I think it's kind of does gets to the heart of both of our issues. Jeffrey says, I believe it was Aaron who agreed that if uh, Gaetano would turn passive, that he would lose it. We had this guy who's a violent monster turned to a practical, conservative voice of reason with a little time devoted to change of character. I understand mm-hmm. he was tortured, but would this not make him even more crazy and aggressive? This is where the show sort of lost me. I could handle the ghost, other strange turns, but it really did not uh, get me what they were going for with this character. For me, the show lost a lot of credit at that point. That's me. Like, Dr. Senator was definitely a blow because I thought he was one of my favorite characters. But like, yeah, yeah. and, and I, I, I think I fundamentally misunderstood something that uh, Holly was trying to do with Gaetano because I felt like I got yanked around three different directions in like three different episodes with a guy Gaetano and I didn't like how he landed. Like, I just think he's a ridiculous character Yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't feel like a real person or a real thing and I had and, and it's one thing if you have like like a Lauren Malvo like the unstoppable evil force that you're supposed to kind of understand as an alien uh, but this guy you know maybe it all tracks if I had been an 11 year old sent to fucking fascist Italy and you know as a 13 year old on death squads <laughs> for Il Duce maybe I'd understand him but That's a tough perspective to identify with. Yeah. I I wasn't an 11 year old fucking mafia. Don's bosses shipped off to fascist Italy to fight in a bunch of, you know, (laughs) communist purges and stuff. So like, I had a hard time wrapping my head around this guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I I, see
1: where, Oh, I'm sorry. I got in that final. I can see where he could be scary as an actor, but like it just, he never got beyond a unserious buffoon.
0: I still definitely want to go watch Kimura. Um, I hear great things about him in that. So maybe, you know, just this, this switch over to comedy wasn't, uh, this wasn't the right role for that. Um I'm trying to pinpoint when it was, it was before Dr. Senator's death. It had to be, cause that happened fairly late. Um, it was like a
1: five season five or episode five, rather
0: somewhere in there. I, I'm just having a hard time really pinpointing when it was, I, I'm not sure this ever, this season ever caught like a really good footing with me. Um, I remember episode one being uh, very entertained Um, and, and, you know, seeing like, okay, this is a story I could get into. It's got uh, an Italian mafia, which I love those stories. Um, It's got a, a really capable set of uh, well, a a mob boss. And then, uh, you know, a consigliere in Loy and Dr. Senator, uh, all that stuff is working really well for me, and it's somewhere along the line where I realized, okay, Schwartzman is not exactly what I expected uh, this <laughs> mafia boss to be. This new new mafia boss, Chris Rock isn't exactly what I expect an actor to bring to his role. Something is not sitting right with me here. It was real early on, but it was never like, oh, this is the moment where I said, you know, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm not in on the show anymore I do think it gives
1: us a glimpse of what the Godfather could have been like if, Son- if Sonny and Fredo were running things because like I had this in my notes to mention I didn't because when yeah. Jason Schwartzman was in full whining like I'm the boss you have to listen it reminded me of Fredo like berating uh, Michael about I'm smart I can do things like god damn it you've lived yeah. your whole life with evidence to the contrary get the fuck out of here sit down Fredo Yeah, um, sit down in this boat Fredo exactly for the final and i i just like but you know what i think that version of godfather sucks (laughs) (laughs) sure godfather that that's the version of godfather's an intensely frustrating watch um and that's what that that the the italian side of this season felt like just like who am i rooting for here evil and then he's the one that's the dick the, the the dick of all dicks at the end like Imagine if Doctor Senator like helped like Loy, you know, fight his way to the King of Kansas City and then shivs him in the end, and and turns into real shit. Like I wouldn't enjoy that, and that's kind of what happened on the yeah the Italian side of this 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 season was a fiasco, in my opinion.
0: with the exception of like I, I liked a lot of the the calamita stuff. In Ital- is, that, is that
1: a good Italian term? Yeah, Fia-
0: it's a fiasco. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like some of the calamita stuff. I also really yeah, like I mean, the rabbi good. milligan stuff there is some stuff yep. to like on the italian side um the fart it, attack and i was iconic. definitely still on board when uh, yeah i mean the fart attack's excellent but rabbi milligan gives his math speech i sure like but that must have been episode 2 or 3 like it it feels like that was really early on so mm-hmm. i don't know finally vince
1: wraps it up Uh, Hey guys, been a a big fan of your podcast since I found you after the second season of Fargo. Interesting. And have been listening ever since. Um, My question is, you two had major issues with the nature of how the UFO is essentially a deus ex machina to save Lou from Bear at the massacre of season two. Similarly, this season, Mr. Snowman shows up in the penultimate episode and directly interferes with Mayflower's attempt to kill Ethel Rita why didn't you have the same reaction to the supernatural element of this season, saving the protagonist from the bad guy? Um, I think it's because this this is a good question and I, I, I've got some good
0: answers for it. What do you think, Jim? For me, it was that the supernatural element uh, didn't come out of nowhere Uh, in season. In that season, uh, it, it just drops out of the sky, literally drops out of the sky. Um, And I didn't see any of that coming. Whereas Mr. Snowman had been a character on screen for multiple episodes. And I knew that he he was around um, lurking. And I thought, OK, well, that, you know, that happens uh because this is a character in the show like any other if if Lloyd Cannon had walked up behind her and said, don't do it, uh, you know, you're you're going to be in trouble if you do this or, or Josto, you know, came up and said, hey, we got to go back to the bed. I, I need some I need some whipping or something. Mm hmm. It would have felt, you know, very similar to the Mr. Snowman walking in and, and stopping it. So it, to me, it's all about like, was I warmed up for this thing? And absolutely, I was warmed up for it in this season. And it's like, I think that's that's most
1: of it right there, because it's not that they didn't ever hint that there was some UFO stuff. Like I remember in the first episode of, of, of season two, there was something that looked like a UFO, but it could have been headlights or could have, imagine like, OK, same thing. We saw Mr. Snowman in episode one of Fargo this season. He Uh. was standing in the middle of the street outside Ethel Rita's house. Imagine that's the only time we'd seen Mr. Snowman until he shows up to save her. I I would have been, Um, what the fuck is this? Right. But like, it wasn't as, and also it's just not as high stakes. Like Ethel Rita versus um, Orietta was not, you know, was not like a, a gang war interrupted by a UFO, in my opinion. And the other thing is just that, like, also this. The other thing is, I I remember us having this discussion about like, what if ghost on Fargo? And my p- opinion uh-huh. is like, you know what? After four seasons on the fish NATO and the UFO and uh, the teasing of the UFO, and then then you know, Jewish bowling heaven or whatever we got in season <laughs> yeah, three, yeah. it's like Fargo's going to pull this shit, and I'm going to be ready. I'm I'm more ready for it now too. But I also think Fair. it was a better developed. It was oh, it yeah. was not. Yeah, yeah. So um but that's the thing. If like if they hit me with season two Fargo now, like if season five was season two and we already had the ghost and we already had the Jewish bowling heaven in the middle of the woods, or we had the fish NATO, I think I would have taken a little bit more in stride too. Um, so it's a combination yeah, of t-
0: just like think back to season two and our coverage, we weren't talking about, oh, when is the UFO going to come? You know, what is the meaning of the UFO and when is it going to come back into play? And like, how's right. it going to affect the story and our characters in this season? We were absolutely talking about Mr. Every Snowman throughout. Like, so,
1: you know, and, e- and even the uh, yeah, I was an early proponents of like, I bet it to Guardian Spirit. And I don't know if it's exactly yeah, yeah. that, but it's kind of the way. So like I, you know, those those questions were being asked and. Like I said, I, it's not that there was no UFO talk in season two, but no one, no one. There was no one on the Fargo threads and our feedback or anyone. It's like, you know what's what's going to happen? What's going to happen is this this fucking UFO is going to drop out of the sky close encounter style and and bring to a halt uh, this, this massive orgy of violence they've promised us all season long. And, yeah. and even talked about last season has been a particularly gruesome orgy of violence. Yeah. So it's like. Whereas the, the the Mr. Snowman stuff actually actually did feel very built up to and uh-huh. almost inevitable. So uh anyway, that's it. That's that's our that's our talk for Fargo. We're we're putting it to bed. Uh again, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to Bald Move Premium. That's where all of our what we call not premium, I'm sorry. Bald yeah, please subscribe to Bald Move Premium. We could use your support. Support Ball Move Prestige is where it's essentially a uh, 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 feed where all of our um, prestige content, good, you know, films, stuff that doesn't, it isn't about uh, ghosts or UFOs Mm -hmm. or uh, biblical plague, tornadoes, that kind of stuff, you know. (laughs) Yeah, laser beams. Uh, Yeah, if you like gang gangster stuff, if you like uh, more emotionally grounded, realistic work. uh, award-winning work that's that's where you find it bald move prestige and i think you'd enjoy most of our coverage there uh and there's going to be like i said some good stuff upcoming uh this year and also uh you know like tom cruise's castaway it's a great movie we're gonna talk about it tom cruise uh, and excellent in castaway when he
0: when <laughs> did he, i did i fuck yeah did i just, say tom cruise tom oh cruise. jesus
1: the way he runs on the beach uh-huh uh in man. sand in sand no less in sand Tom Hanks the Tom Cruise of Tom Hanks <laughs> in Castaway we also did one on Misery which was I thought was just, yeah. just like last week was pretty good So, uh, good stuff and also we're in the middle of the Christmas season if you want to celebrate Christmas with us uh, we got a lot of good stuff going out that you can get in uh, by going to christmas.baldmove.com but that's where we're going to leave you for the season uh, have a great rest of 2020 if you can hopefully 2021 will be a lot better for a lot of us uh, uh, at least so. we'll get this goddamn pandemic put to bed hopefully mm-hmm. and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody and uh, like I said hopefully we'll see a lot more of you in the new year until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim later